0: Our text this morning is Romans 12, uh, 3 through 8. We We've kind of already discussed Romans 3, 12, 3 last week, but as we kind of pull it in as we go on beyond that, uh, we'll discuss Romans 12, 3 through 8. And, uh, you know, kind of introduction, we live in a very difficult time, you know, but, um, the, particularly for the church. You know, the church and the importance of the church had been under attack for several years. I remember a few years ago being at um, at uh, the jail, and I heard someone speaking there, and and uh, w- one of the counselors there said, "Well, you, but you don't have to be a Christian to go to church." And 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 you know and and the, I understand what they're saying, and they're certainly right. You know, we're, you don't have to be here to 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 uh, um, to, to know Christ, but but they're what they were trying to say was, you don't, the church really doesn't play an important part of your life, you know, as a Christian. They were downplaying the importance of the body and the fellowship. And that's been going on for, for, for as you know, for years, and COVID being the last, the latest enemy. In 2020, according to uh, the Gallup poll, half of all Americans say they belong to a church but less than 20 percent ever attend of those who do who, who did attend the latest statistics say that one in three that regularly attended church before the pandemic have left and have not returned and I'm talking about medical reasons'm not you know yes I understand there are some that are still home for medical reasons and I'm get this but, but for, for non-medical reasons, they've just not returned. They haven't, they haven't started going back. This group has just stopped attending. You know, and I know we've heard for years the excuse people would say, Why well, I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God at the lake. I can worship God in the mountains. I don't need to go to church to worship God. And, of course, that still exists, but now it's changed somewhat. Now we have those who are worshiping at home. They are clicking on a sermon and say they've attended church. They, they, they've, they've watched, they, they've done their, their obligation for that week. They've listened to the sermon at home. It's easier for them. And, you know, really, when it comes to membership, um, even as a church, we become somewhat lax in regards to membership. I was uh, speaking to a friend of mine who's uh, working in a church of another denomination in Knoxville. And we, were, and we got in our discussion. This has been a few months ago. And as he was sharing about the church, we discussed membership. And he told me that their church has uh, done away with membership. They no longer have members of the church anymore. And I asked him why. And he said that with the uh, growing homosexual community and their desire to reach that population, they felt it was better to do away with membership than to have someone seek membership and have to deny them. They felt like it would just be easier just to say we don't have memberships. Um, and, you know, on one hand, you think, you know, that 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 um, do we hold membership valuable? Do we hold it important? And, you know, I, I confess to you, church, that I have not been as faithful as I should have been in maintaining the importance of membership before you. Um, part of the reason, I think, and not an excuse, but part of the reason is I believe that that church membership has become so abused in our in our twenty first century churches. You know, we are we know of churches that have a thousand members and a hundred people at best any given Sunday. So you wanna say, No, you don't have a thousand members. You have a thousand names. It's more like a mailing list than a membership. But that's not that's no excuse for reminding you the importance of committing to the body. You know, it's important that you hear, the, the, that that we hear your testimony of God's work in your life. It's important we see that, that you're being committed to the body. And that when Christ calls you away, for whatever reason, that we can pray for you. And, and I've not done that. I've not kept that in front of the church as much as I should, and, and I, I ask you to forgive me, and I'm sorry for that. So membership is important to be committed to the body is important and part of the reason is church discipline is important you know if if, if someone seeks membership in their life is in, you know such as they are a a, a practicing um adulterer or adulteress then you need as a church to say no i'm sorry you know this this would this would preclude you from being a member at this time, you know, if you if you have if you're if you're living that lifestyle, and accepting that lifestyle, then you cannot be. We cannot join with us. Um, and so, for us to do that, we need to to maintain membership. And and for those who who don't know, it'd be right for me to tell you that that the 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 way that we practice membership is we ask, we want to hear your testimony. We want to hear what God's doing in your life. It's, I mean, we as in. The elders, Jack and I, uh, we want to hear what God's doing. We would invite you to share your testimony with the church. And then, and then if there are no objections, then we would invite you to be part, to be a member. Uh, membership's important. The uh, Heidelberg Confesh- uh, Catechism, I shared it with you. Question, question 54. What do you believe concerning the holy, catholic, universal, Catholic, me, universal. What do you believe concerning the Holy Universal Church? This is a, a wonderful Reformed uh, Catechism that was for, for centuries used to teach people about the about the church and the, the view of the church, and 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 and, and to teach young about this. Um, what they, this was they said about the Holy Universal Church. I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word. Out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And this, and of this community, I am, and always will be, a living member. This is our. This has been has long been the church's, the Reformed Church's view of, of what it meant to be a part of, of a body, and. Uh, we want to uh, affirm that this morning. And we'll affirm that through Romans twelve three 3-8. Romans twelve three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one, in bo- one body in Christ and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness, you know, as I've said throughout this, Romans is the gospel. It is. It is. We've come to that point in this uh, wonderful book that we come to the application of the gospel. What does the gospel look like? You know, we said the Romans. This is the power of God for salvation. This is why Paul wrote this, so to help us to understand the gospel, to tell us this, and that we can apply this gospel this salvation into our life. We said that salvation was was not just being saved from the penalty of, of sin. It's not just being saved from hell. That salvation is being saved from the power of sin in your life. Getting victory from that and ultimately from the presence of sin. That salvation changes you. You live, you look, you think, you act, you're different because of the gospel because of salvation because of this process of salvation that that is that includes justification and sanctification and ultimate glorification this all of this is this work of salvation and it changes you and our response to this our response to to our understanding of the gospel is to worship as Paul talked about in Romans 12 1 and 2. Because of the mercies of God, because you've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, because you saw that and you, you realize that you should have been destroyed because of your sin and wickedness, you saw God in His holiness. You, as we sung just a minute ago, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. You saw that in the face of Jesus Christ. And that led you to, to recognize your, your wickedness and your depravity And your sin, because of that. And you know that you you deserved death. But instead, by faith, you saw the the justification that comes through Christ Jesus. The perpetuation of the blood that comes from Him. You, you, You saw that by faith. Because of that, we respond by worship. And I would say that if you've... And to anyone, if they, if you haven't ever seen your sin, if you haven't ever seen your depravity, I don't know how you could not have seen God. But if you see God, you will see your sin and depravity, and you respond by worship. And Paul said, that "We worship by presenting our body to living sacrifice." This is how we worship, and the way we do that, the way we present our bodies to living sacrifice, is to change the way you think. You have to think differently. You, you're no longer conforming to this world, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how you present your body to living sacrifice, by learning to think differently. Our feudal minds have now passed away, and now we have fruitful minds. And the first thing that we do with this new, renewed mind is we look at ourselves. We think differently about us. We, we look at ourselves with eyes of faith instead of seeing ourselves with eyes of pride. You know, the opposite of pride, we said, is not humility. People say with well, opposite pride. No, the opposite of pride is faith. The opposite, the the the, the, the antonym of, of, of pride is faith. We see ourselves rightly. Not as what we have created in ourselves, but what God has created in us. We see ourselves as a creation of God. This is, this is how we respond. This is how we present our bodies a living sacrifice. It begins by first looking at ourselves, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing what God's done and what He's created in us. And once we see ourselves rightly, then we look at our community of faith. It's not enough just to see yourself. It's how do I fit into the body? How do I how do I fit into this body that God has created? How do I how do I work out my salvation in the middle of this? Paul said, "For we are for as in one body we have many members. We have one body here. We're together in this." And this applies to the to the church universal, the Catholic church. But it also applies to that local expression. That yes, we are to be a part, we are to recognize we are part of that universal church. But the way that we we live that out is by being part of, committed to, that local expression of that universal church. This is our, our responsibility. You know, we have a really hard time showing our love for one another, or for our believing brothers and sisters who are in Africa, especially if we can't show our love for our believing brothers and sisters, our believing brothers and sisters who live right around us. You know, if you say, man, I, I, just, I just love the church body, and I love the, 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 the church body in Africa, or in Egypt, or wherever, and, and great, you should. But what about the church body here, right around you? We have a responsibility to love one another here. And I don't mean just the ones you see, but believers around you here. How do we love them? How do we show them this love? Notice, though, as we read in verse 3, Paul does not say to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, according to the measure that God has assigned to you because you're such a wonderful person and it's really important to you. You know, I'm really, Paul does not say I'm really concerned about you, that you're thinking of yourself with pride and you need to just really try to do this so that you can be a better person. That's not what he's saying at all, is it? He said no. Instead, you ought to think more rightly of yourself for or because we're in one body. You do this because of how you fit into this body. Because you need to think more rightly of yourself because this is how we fit as a community. How we live together as a community of faith. And this has to be more than symbolism. You know, people talk about well, we're one body, and, and 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 we we kind of approach it as well. It's just a symbolic term. It's just sort of a, you know, it's just it's just a he's just using symbolic language. It's more of a kind of a, a metaphor. And no, no, you know, as I said, we have a very hard time distinguishing reality from the picture, don't we? We really do, we really struggle with distinguishing what is real from what is the picture of what's real. As we said, the picture, the picture of dead is when that body stops functioning. You know, that, that, that is the picture. That, when we, that if this body was laying out here and it's not functioning, we would say that body is dead. And God gave us that wonderful picture of dead. But that's just the picture. That's not the reality. The reality of being dead is being separated from God, separated from Jesus Christ, separated from life. That's the reality. The picture is this physical body. And and I wonder, you know, maybe this is why we have such a hard time in our day and age of defining dead. Have you noticed that? We really do. You know, it used to be, to be dead was when your heart stopped. And then it changed it. Well, to be dead is when your brain waves start, stop. And now they're looking to change it even more with, with, with new technology. So, so we have trouble with defining what dead is physically. The great news is it was never hard to define dead spiritually, was it? If you were in Christ, if you were were in God, you're alive. And if you weren't, you're dead. But that's the reality. The picture is this physical. The reality is that we are joined together in one body. We are connected. We are connected. And I think we struggle with that as believers. You see, I don't have any problem with believing my toe is connected to my body. Because if my toe hurts, I know it. You know that that, that, that if, if 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 I hit my little toe hard enough, it will affect the way I walk. Which just a little toe. I mean, why would it affect the way I walk? But sometimes I think. As a church, we struggle with that. You know that when we see our, our, our sister, you know Patty, who, who's who's missing today, and 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 you know she has she has a, a kind of a reaction to something she's missing. She's hurting today. That affects us. We're not the same body as we would be if she was here. We need we need to understand that we are truly connected one to another. We are joined together in one body, at least according to scriptures. And just like the reality of life being joined together with Christ impacts your life, you look different if you're dead than when you're alive. The reality of being joined together into one body impacts your life. You're different because of it. this this is this is hard for me church because I, mean, I really I, I don't I don't know if I if if I think about it enough honestly but my sins affect you you know it does and and, and we need to see that we need to understand that And we are to love the brethren. You know, no one hates its own body. No one does. We're to love the brethren, Ephesians 5, 29. Does this mean you'll never have any disagreements? Of course not. You know, it's like saying to two brothers, you know, I love my brothers dearly, but we still disagree. You know, there are times when John doesn't agree with me. I mean, it proves he's wrong. But, you know, we still, we, still, we still love each other. We still disagree. But here's the thing. When we have those disagreements, we seek to reconcile them and bring ourselves back together. You know, I love that picture I, I've heard talk about this as a wagon wheel. You know, the, the, to be part of this one body, it's almost like being part of a wagon wheel. We are the spokes, and we're joined together as to the hub. And the closer the hub we get, the closer we get to one another. See, Jesus, we are joined together in Jesus Christ. As Paul said, so so we, though many, are one body in Christ. This is what joins us. We are all in him. We all know that experience of being in him. He's the one that gives us hope. And, and so, to, and to better so understand this passage, and, and I think to kind of help bring it to life, I want you to see the parallel between four and five that, that Paul uses here. Paul uses really interesting kind of parallelism in this. Notice in, in verse four, he says that, for as we are in one body, for as in one body we have many members. And then in, in verse five, he kind of completes that as he kind of parallels it with this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Paul uses that repetition in verse 5 to help better explain and intensify what he said in in verse 4. We are, though there were many, we are one in Christ. The One body is in in Christ's body. This is where we're joined. This is where we're brought together. I think that's important because it really helps us understand the other half of this. And, and the members do not how have the same function, verse 4, and individually members of one another, verse 5. See, I, I don't know about you, but when I pull out that individual members of one another by itself, I struggle with the meaning. I was like, Paul, what do you mean by it? we're individual members of, of each other? Of, what does that What does that mean? But with that, but, but seeing how that's joined with verse four, you know, Paul he, he's saying, I, I believe that Paul is helping understand the meaning and importance of why we don't have the same function. Why we're joined together with people that have different functions. See, my function or my role is to complete you. We're members of each other. We're not just members of the body. We we have a role and responsibility to each other. We don't have the same function. My function is to complete you, and your role and function is to complete me and others. It's not just... It, 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 it's this, this part of how do we how do we work how do we help one another? How do we build one another up? How do we spur one another on to love and good deeds? How do we help? Because my goal is I, I want to see I want to see Jack become everything that God has called Jack to become for the glory of God. You know, one of the things that that I really love about Paul is Paul is so Passionately in love with Christ and that image of Christ. He wants to see everybody walking around, creating the image of Christ. And he just wants to be surrounded by people who are created in the image of Christ, doesn't he? That's just he just loves that image so much. He just wants to see it in everybody. And 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 one of my one of the roles I have here at this church is how do I how do I live in such a way? As to help Tommy become all that God's called him to be. Because we're members of one another. And Tommy helps me to become all that God's called me to be. This, this, this function that we have, that we share, we're to look at and, and, and to live out this responsibility to one another. You know, when we talk about gathering stuff together, as, Paul, or as the writer of Hebrews said, he said, "Forsake not to gather yourselves together, especially in the latter days." What's one of the really I don't think, sad things that's taken place in that verse? And I don't know about you, but 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 I, but to me, I, I hear it, I see it. Is when I ask people, "So why do you gather together?" The number one reason people give is for the sermons, for the preaching. Or maybe for the songs. But why did Paul say, or what? Sorry. Why did the writer of Hebrews say, for Satan not to gather themselves together? Because you're to encourage one another. You're to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And this is a part of it, yes. And the scene is a part of it, yes. But this is why, as a church, we said, you know what? It's important that you have a chance to say, how has God touched your life? Because I need to hear about Daisy and what's what's happening in Daisy's life. You know, I need to hear about the school. I need to hear about your meeting and how God's come to encourage you. I need to hear about the healing that's happened in Tommy's life. Because I need that encouragement. And I believe you do too. Also, we have this function, this responsibility, to encourage one another. Since we have different gifts, let us use them. Verse six: Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Notice, Paul again says to live according to what is given or assigned to us. It's the same thing he used in verse 3. That we were to think with sober judgment according to that measure of faith. This is the life we live. It is always according to the faith or grace, or to simply put, according to the spirit that God's working in us. Our life is to be lived according to that working of God whether it's using our gifts or living it out. It's according to what God has assigned or God has given to us. God has given us gifts. And according to to this grace, according to that divine influence of God in our hearts, let us use them as members of one another. Let us use them as how we serve one another and how we help one another how we encourage one another how we we help one another become what god would have us to be and then paul gives us this list i don't believe that this was meant to be exhaustive i don't think paul is saying okay these are these are all the gifts this is it right here no Paul's just he's laid these out and, and and he's not trying to elevate some above the others Instead, Paul's leading us to use whatever gift that God has given us, use it to complete or to encourage one another, to help one another become what God calls to be. Whether prophecy or teaching or exhortation or leading or, or, or service or giving or mercy or administration or admonition, whatever the gift is, let us use it, for we are members of one another. I don't want to talk for just a minute about prophecy, though. I think most of them are pretty easy, but let's talk for just prophecy for a second, because they could. It's one of the more difficult ones, and, it, and it's it's often misunderstood. And Paul seems to single this out, doesn't he? Paul says, that prophecy, in proportion to our faith." Notice that all the rest of the gifts have a different way of discussing it. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and so on and so forth. But Paul Paul does not say if, prophesy, if prophecy, then in his prophesying. Instead, he says in proportion to, to our faith. First of all, let me tell you, my, uh, I think it's very important that you understand that I do believe... That the canon of Scripture is closed, and I and I hate to hate to have to say that, but I, have to, I do have to say that. So it's very, very clear: the canon of Scripture is closed. There is no more Scripture being added to this. All right, I don't believe that's what. Um, there there are no prophets or apostle that is adding to the Scriptures. It's closed. It's really interesting when when you read this and and to, to read what people say about this and in, in discussion. Um. There there are those who say, well, they, what it's talking about is that that um, John I think John MacArthur would or not John MacArthur John Piper says his view of this is that he he understands this to mean this prophecy is to to. Um, Almost to be moved to see something insightful into someone's life. Like, you know, someone say, Well, you, I, I, I believe that you're going through something or whatever else. And um, I don't believe that's what, or, you know, that, that, I don't believe that's what, what Paul is speaking of here. Uh, you know, can God speak to someone and give them insight into an event? Maybe, but I, I don't think that's what God's saying here. I didn't know one thing: that if someone claims that that is prophecy, then they better be right hundred percent of the time. Because if they're wrong once, they're a false prophet. So that's that's that would be my my concern about that. Um, my viewpoint's a little bit different. Um, I see. To me, the the Old Testament word for prophet meant divine utterance. That's that's literally what it meant. It was it was this movement of God and this divine utterance. So, with that being said, uh, prophecy does not mean, has never meant, telling the future. A prophet, a biblical prophet, was not one who told the future. As if they were looking ahead and seeing what was going to happen. Prophecy always meant proclaiming the word from God. God would give them a word and they would proclaim it. And if it was about something God was going to do in the future, then it was about the future. If God said He was going to do something, then the prophet would tell us that God said He's going to do this in the future. But that was always what a prophet was. It was just proclaiming what God said. So, I think that it's still the same. That a prophet proclaims, the word of God that this is the word of God that's that's my understanding of it if under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit if I say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is going to return in the future <coughs> excuse me, then I've prophesied about the future um, it's rather simplistic but I'm gonna stick with it so as Paul's saying that we should only share the word of God, what he has proclaimed, in proportion to our faith. So so when Paul says that, um, does that mean that we can only speak as we have faith? Well, as we talked yesterday, if that's the truth, then our gatherings will get a lot shorter and a lot quieter. You know, if we, if we can only speak when, by, by, by proportion of our faith, I don't know about you, Dan, but sometimes I've just got to sit there and just be quiet a whole lot, you know? So I think we all struggle in our faith at times. So I don't don't think Paul, it's not a a witness, so so where's my faith today? Uh, So I'm going to speak. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to say here. Instead, we, that's Jack, Mark, and I yesterday, as we talked about that, believe that in proportion to your faith means in proportion to your understanding of Scripture. That, that, that this is as 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 God has opened up his word to you, and as, as, then this is how you speak. This is, this is what you shared. Um, and of course, in proportion of our faith always means in exalt in exaltation of Jesus Christ. This, this is the point of it. I also believe that in proportion of faith means in love and in humility, knowing that it's from God, knowing that everything that we can say, any, I, you know, I, I, can, I can read the scriptures word for word, but if, you, but, but if you're going to hear them, it's going to be from God. It's going to be His work. It, he is the one who's going to speak into your life. You know, it's, it's amazing when you think about, as, as Mark was reading that scripture this morning from John, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we read that and think, how could they not see that from God? How could they not see that the, the feed, food that, that God provided them was the manna from heaven? Well, it's understanding that it doesn't come from human eyes. It comes from God's work. So believing that that understanding that all proclamation is by faith. Believing that God is the one who speaks. I think all the other gifts are pretty simple. And I really don't believe they, they need much explanation. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Basically, we're doing all of these things to the glory of God and to the service of one another. How has God gifted you? I think there's one concern, though, I have heard about this. You know, so somebody says, well, I I can't serve because the service is not my gift. Well, contribution is not my gift, so I just can't give. I think it's a, a poor understanding, a poor application of this. You know, we are all so what, what does it mean to to one who contributes? It means you're only gifted to contribute? Some people are? No. All of us have been called. But there are some that have been given the opportunity and the grace to to contribute more. They do it in cheerfulness. The one who leads with zeal. But I'm not a leader. Well, you might be. there might be times that God calls you to leave and when God gives you that opportunity and that calling for that opportunity to do it with zeal, I'm not I'm not given to the gift of exhortation. Why not? Why not? There are times that God gives you opportunities to exhort then do it. Use that gift. You know, it's kind of interesting discussion. Are gifts for a lifetime or for an event? Are the gifts of God for a lifetime or for an event? And believe the answer is both and neither. Gifts are for the glory of God and for others. That's the purpose. And I do think we find plenty of scripture where, where, where God gives people gifts for their whole lifetime that's just god has gifted them with the ability to do metal work or god gifted david with the ability to, to, to sing in such a way as to bring calming god gifted him but then we also find scripture where the spirit would fall upon someone for a time or an event it might be that God gives somebody the gift of leadership their whole life. Or it might be that God gives you the gift of leadership for this event and this time. Whatever it is, do it with zeal to the glory of God, recognizing that it's not you, because you're thinking rightly of yourself. You've learned to think rightly of yourself. You didn't develop this gift. You didn't work on it. You didn't do all these things. It might be that God's given you the gift of contribution. But recognize, think rightly of yourself. It's not you that did all this that got yourself in this position. It's God who did this. So give, contribute with cheerfulness. It might be that God's called you to proclaim the Word of God. This is His Word. He's spoken it. If you do it, it's not you that did it. If anyone hears that word, it's only because of what God's done. Only because of what God's done. In case you haven't guessed, I couldn't complete this sermon without, without mentioning one thing. This is about body life. This is about body life. This is about being that body together. What does it look like? How do we live this out? Isn't it amazing? Paul's gonna talk for the next four chapters about about application of the gospel. Paul says, you know, this, this application of the gospel is so important, but it begins here. It begins here. You know, if we can't get it right here, how do we get it right there? How do we get it right out there? So we have responsibility to one another. We have responsibility to, to encourage one another, to, to spur one another on. We have responsibility to hold one another accountable. We have responsibility to, 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 to be involved in one another's lives. You know, when I when I see, see Mark struggling, I need to, I have a responsibility to come alongside of him and exhort him. I can only do that if I if I'm part of his life and I see him and, and involved in him. This is that responsibility. And we're to look at, and here's we're to do it with everyone, all believers. But God says, I'm gonna make it easy for you guys because you guys really struggle with this and you really won't do it without some help. I'm going to put you guys together so you can practice here. And then you can learn to do it more out there. Because we need all the help we can get, don't we? We definitely need all the help we can get. One of the interesting, I'm not close to this, one of the interesting discussions in missions is just what is a church? What is a body of believers? If we had a a Bible study at Panera Bread and we met at you know seven o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday morning, is that a church? Some would say yes. Some would say yes. Some would say no. Some would say, well, it's only if you have the sacraments. Others say, well, it doesn't matter. What is a church? And I think what Paul would have us know is the church is first and foremost committed together in Christ and committed to one another. And yes, it is the practice of the sacraments, and it is that, that coming together regularly to encourage one another, to spur one on to love and good deeds, and living this out. See, if, if you don't love the church, if you don't love the body, How do, you, how do you say you love God? How do you say you love Christ? Because this is His body. It's, there's, there's something really wrong with that. Because um, we're all part of this together.